Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. I'm Elijah Fleming. And I'm Christy Vogler. And today we're uncovering the HBO BBC historical drama series Rome, created by John Milius, William McDonald, and Bruno Heller, and starring a whole lot of people that we're going to get into. But before we kind of get into uh, show proper and our uh, reactions and dig it, we're just kind of launching off the first episode of this new season with, I don't know if you two have been getting harassing texts and emails from your family about the latest pop culture trend, particularly directed towards men, but about how much you think about how, here's my question for you, actually, how often do you think about the Roman empire? Literally every day, Colin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I felt, it was like, I was a little upset. I'm like, but why are we asking only men that? Like, I feel attacked. <laughs> I asked Andy, so for fair for fairness, it's like, Andy, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? He's like, never until you start talking about it. Did you ask Nick, Eli? I did. And he's like, what? I guess sometimes. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is kind of, to my mind, the spiritual successor of the, like, men will literally learn everything about the Roman Empire instead of going to therapy, like yes. that joke. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which my- there is... Sure. Yeah, there's some. Well, and it's like my my follow up question to this is like, what about the Roman? Like, this is the this is the part. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what we unpack in the show all the time. Right. It's like Rome is talked about as like this idealized place. That's also a city that's like people, but people of all sorts of different cultural groups and everything. So it's like. Are you just thinking about the buildings? Like I think the I mean, I think it's the the kind of men who think about like conquering Gaul, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. That sort of idea of Rome of like, you know, someone going, right, Awe Kaiser and like marching in your little legionary outfit and and you know Out to do some of, genocide. Right. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, gotta go gotta, you know, restore the Roman Empire, those kinds of memes and jokes. <laughs> yeah. Or stoicism. That's the big one. Marcus Aurelius. Ooh, yeah, like, that's yeah. always a big one. Yeah. Where, you know, my kind of like defense was like, well, I mean, I think about like Greek poetry writing under the Roman Empire, right? You know, the, which is the kind of like, I don't know, not like other girls answer, I guess. But. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely it is. No, my students in, I'm teaching like a cultural studies course and we're doing a unit on basically classical reception because I got to write the class and so I decided we're doing a unit on classical reception and they had to watch 300 this week and so we've kind of been talking about just western civilization and how it's this weird amorphous concept that doesn't actually have a definition and I feel like so much of that they brought up the the whole how many times a day do you think about the Roman Empire and I was so proud of my little baby students making connections (laughs) Like, good for you guys. <laughs> yeah. The question is, like, when I think about it, it's like, I, I'm technically, it's like, I am an archaeologist who digs in what was a Roman province and all of that. But it's like, I'm so focused on one site and, like, kind of one household that it's like, yeah, there's all this stuff going on in the city, which we're going to talk about in the show. But how much of that is really impacting the lives of people, like, outside of Rome and who, you know, it's gossip, but otherwise, who cares? All this to say is this is just my desperate plea to people in my life to stop dunking on me with this stuff. <laughs> Although, okay, to be fair, we decided on our theme for this season long before this became 
the discourse of yeah happening. i mean so right like for context as we talked about in our promo our theme for this first season is rome and the small screen right but before even we get back into that also just a reminder is so we're recording this on a wednesday tomorrow morning our promo episode should drop so this we're sort of a little bit out of time, but accompanying our promo episode is our sort of contest. Mm-hmm. While we're talking about sort of Rome on TV, we're also trying to get to the bottom of what is the best movie about Rome. So we talked about it in the promo, but just as a reminder, right, of what we're all. So we don't have any results yet. Next week, sort of when we return for part two, yeah. we'll have a sense. Because I think I've voted, but there's probably only three votes right now. Oh, I haven't even voted yet. <laughs> I haven't even voted yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Colin has the poll link. I do have the yes. poll set up, but it hasn't posted yet. <laughs> yeah. So right now, who? Yeah, who's up first? Right in our bracket. Uh, yeah. So we have the fall of the Roman Empire versus Pompeii, mm-hmm. and then we'll have the eagle versus the gladiator. And I can't remember the, if we talked the about gladiator. The gladiator. Gladiator. <laughs> all of them. No. Okay. I added the the, but it's like all of these start with a the for the most part. So. So I think we kind of know – I mean, I have, I'm have. i very confident with the way that first round's going to play out, but yeah. I don't know if you have any other predictions you want to throw in the mix. To, to be fair, I don't know how many people have seen The Fall of the Roman Empire That's versus – I mean, people yeah. know Kit Harington. There's like, well, he's pretty. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder even just on like first impressions alone – Yeah. if like someone who has seen neither movie would look at like, okay, 1964 – film starring Alec Guinness and Sophia Loren versus, you know, I at least maybe remember Pompeii and like would that. Right. I mean, I would argue that I would I would argue that Fall of the Roman Empire is a superior film. Well, I was going to say, I wonder if it would go the other way if you're looking Mm -hmm. at like, oh, Alec Guinness. Oh, Sophia Loren. Oh, classic old school sword and sandal. Obviously way better than Pompeii. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. My point exactly. Right. I think it is a much better film, but it's not as good as maybe it seems on paper. Yeah. Well, and if if you can't recall either one or you want some very strong opinions about those movies from people who have seen them, you should listen right. to and our previous podcast. Yeah. And the partial, and the partial historians. historians. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we, we got some legit people talking about this. Podcast much more successful podcasters than us. Yeah, we're getting there. And then round two. Yeah. And like round two. Yeah. Oh god, it's the glad it's gladiator. Yeah. It has to be gladiator. I love I love Channing Tatum, but like it's gladiator. For our general predictions, right, because we kind of bet amongst ourselves, hashtag wine on the line. Mm-hmm. We bet a bottle of wine amongst ourselves, sort of who's going to take the cake. But we agreed, all of us, that we all probably think Gladiator is going to take the final podium, but we can't bet on that. So mm-hmm. I think my horse in the race, pun intended, is Ben-Hur. <laughs> Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur, not the 2016 go. one. I'm doing uh, Life of Brian, Monty mm-hmm. Python. I'm trying to hit it with humor. Yeah, you know, I might that one. The more I think about it, you might have put the needle mm-hmm. on it, right? It's a sweet mm-hmm. spot, right there. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. No, and I'm going Spartacus. I'm going for the for the old school, like subconscious, I guess. Yeah. Thoughts mm-hmm. about I mean, the Roman Empire. Think about. Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Is like Staying redone power. in so yeah. many media, so much media. Even just the question, right? Best film is kind of a whole like how are people interpreting is like favorite mm-hmm. film one we think is sort of if you can create an objective measurement of art right that would mm-hmm. fit that the one that was most successful commercially or critically I think there's a lot of ways to sort of go at the question which yeah. i will not 
uh, I will not well, tell people how to do. Do you guys mm-hmm. want to hear what the the rounds after that will be? Since like yes. once this comes out, this yes. is probably the one that will be in voting. So after that, mm-hmm. both of your horses have their first challenge. So we will have horrible histories, the Rotten Romans, right, which is movie. my pick for worst. Yeah, versus Spartacus. Well, so, obviously Spartacus is going to win that Probably an easy win yeah, there. I, I, I want to say, I hope Spartacus impales that one to the wall with a trident. <laughs> yep. And then, Colin, you might have a little bit of a tougher one. We'll see. Um, it'll be a good test of, like, serious versus funny, because it's mm-hmm. Ben-Hur versus a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Ooh, that is actually a tough round. I could, mm-hmm. I could see Ben-Hur getting knocked out early, but who's to say? Yeah, that one will be interesting. I think. Who I mean, I well, always? a funny thing happened is also very polarizing in that it yeah. is a it is also a musical, and I feel like that kind of that cuts out a lot of people mm-hmm. who are just like, nope, <laughs> not for me. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, versus mine will be after that. So uh, my life of Brian is going to go up against the animated Cleopatra, which. Oh Lord! <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean that that is as interesting as that movie is, and as much as I would encourage everybody to watch it, yeah, is it languishes a little bit in obscurity. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's free to watch. Go check it out, guys. And like our our discussion with Kiara was so good. Like mm-hmm. that was a really fun discussion. Who yeah. will be coming back? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to have another conversation about. Eastern receptions of the Roman world. Oh my god. World. Yeah. 100%. Oh my god. Yeah. But we are getting ahead of ourselves because we, as we're we hitting the 11 minute mark, okay. uh, we should probably start talking about the episode in question. So yeah. our first our first thing on the docket is we are talking about HBO's Rome, which we decide we're going to split into three parts. So today, just focusing on the first half of season one, episodes one through six-ish. So I'll start it off, right? And although I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about sort of the series beyond these episodes but first half of season one do you dig it right do you dig do you dig hbo's rome so much mm-hmm. yep <laughs> yeah as we were talking about earlier it's like it's one i'd always heard of but i'd never thought to watch it until ray stevenson's death um earlier this year i think i think colin you said it was in may yeah um yeah. and i recognized him from king arthur which is actually one of my favorite movies about rome well in the border of rome i guess more accurately to say rome adjacent yeah yeah Yeah. but so i was really you know sad to see he passed away and i i really liked his character in king arthur i was like okay i'm gonna start watching some episodes i'm like oh my god this is so amazing why why have i not watched Mm -hmm. this before and then i crammed like four episodes in last night some were rewatches but it's like i need the mm-hmm. full experience. Nice. Yeah. So I'm so surprised, Christy. I don't think I knew that you hadn't watched Rome until this year. I just assumed yeah. everybody with a PhD in our field had seen it. Right? Yeah, you guys got to remember, I was more of a Greek freak. Like, true. Rome just kind of happened accidentally. <laughs> That's true. Much like the real city. <laughs> yep. Very true, very true. <laughs> no, I very vividly remember the first time that I saw this. I think I was either a senior in high school or a freshman undergrad. And the man who is now my husband let me borrow his DVD box set. Of the so whole. he does think about the Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember watching it in my dorm room at the University of Iowa. And then like the next semester, I took an ancient history class. So I feel like this had such a huge impact on me as like a small little 
baby academic. And I feel like for so many of the colleagues of my generation, I guess, Colin, you as well, probably this was like a big part of Mm -hmm. just the media that was out there about the stuff that we liked. I mean, yeah, I want to kind of just think about this, this show and kind of the landscape of TV history. But I think I saw it. I think I saw it at some point in high school because I don't think I was driving at the time because I like vaguely remember and this all might be fever dreams truly, but <laughs> I vaguely remember like my dad basically taking me to the public library and where you could rent DVD box sets of shows. And I like was exploring various, you know, I got like a DVD box set of the first season of Seinfeld or something like right. that. I was like, you could just get this for free and watch it whenever. <laughs> and I HBO's Rome was like, cause I, at the time was kind of, you know, I was interested in, in, I was like taking Latin in high school. I was interested in history in Rome. And then the show was like coming out, but also is kind of was one of the more like adult shows, one of the first adult shows mm-hmm. that I was sort of watching. A lot of nakedness. Happening. Yes. Very. Yeah. I want to talk about that later <laughs> and kind of this, the, the, this, this era of HBO and the full frontal nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Those, you know, the adult, the mature rating elements of this mm-hmm. season, because I remember that like very upfront. I think I oh, watched yeah. it like with my parents. Oh, I remember waiting for my parents to go to bed and <laughs> put this on because I was like, hell no, I'm not watching this with them. <laughs> See, there are some perks to seeing it later in life. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even just like even at the time, right, the idea that there would be a TV show that's so edgy, for lack of a better word, was a more novel thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I think we'll probably get into this in sort of like our overall, you know, thoughts on the series, but like Rome walked so Game of Thrones could run. Yeah. Like there's very much. there's so much um of a path being laid for like big, dark, gritty, huge you know, like budget, historical esque. It was uh, the biggest budget TV show, I think. It had the biggest set of the time, like at that time of filming and would only be eclipsed in those things by Game of Thrones, of which Game of Thrones, the Venn diagram of cast members between this show. And I mean, it's all just like you watch enough British television with British actors yeah. and you see a lot of the same faces. But the guy who plays Brutus, his face was bothering me for the longest time. It's like, hmm. Oh, mm, Tobias Outlander. Mm-hmm. Outlander. Yep. yep. knows. I know. <laughs> the most I know evil of characters. I'm like, you would be Brutus, wouldn't you? <laughs> See, I knew him as Brutus going into Outlander, and I was like, ew, gross, <laughs> I already hate you. <laughs> What's his, is it Edmure Tully? Edmund Tully? He's in Game of Thrones too. He's one yeah. of the Tullys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, also a bitchy gas character in Game <laughs> of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. So before we kind of get into kind of our you know, general – oh, and for, for the record, I do also. I was afraid I wasn't going to dig this show coming back to it, right? Because I was afraid oh, you know, it was the kind totally of show that wouldn't have up. aged as well. And actually, I think it more or less holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, its idea, you know, what it was trying to do, I think, with the genre and, and was on the right track. But trying a new thing this season, right, where basically before we kind of get into the the meat, we should describe the bones. Yeah. I should oh, make yeah. this into a sacrifice analogy, right? We've got the meat for the gods and the – or no, sorry, the meat for the, the participants and the bones for the gods. But anyways – I was going to say, it's like, no wonder they think archaeologists are cursed because we talk about weird stuff all the time. <laughs> but the sort of our challenge to uh, listeners who maybe haven't seen or haven't seen in a while, your kind of TLDW. Too long, didn't watch. Yeah, of the first six seasons, six seasons, if only, for six <laughs> I episodes. I kind of wish there were six seasons of this oh, now. It was planned to be five. <sighs> we could have gotten six seasons in a movie. Ah. Damn it. 
<laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Christy, I think you had a you had a contender. I do. For I do. I, it even rhymes. I'm so proud of myself. All right. So for the first oh, six diverse. episodes, this is how I'd summarize it. Varanus and Pulo's shenanigans lead to Roman Republic Branigans, which apparently means a noisy quarrel. Quarrel. I can't say quarrel, apparently, or fight or brawl. So I'm like, yes, it works. That tracks. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think mine is kind of similar in sort of a so like politicians make world ending decisions poor people survive them (laughs) (laughs) that's really good actually (laughs) yeah mine is rich people poor people and dumb luck destroy a system of government (laughs) (laughs) there we go that's a good summary (laughs) yeah but basically, yeah, so to kind of put a, a historical dates on the show, the first season of Rome is basically covering kind of the rise of Julius Caesar from his conflict with the Roman Senate that leads up to the Civil War leading up to Julius Caesar becoming dictator. Um, we'll talk about sort of how successful that was probably in the next bit. But but yeah, so these first six episodes, anything we can go through kind of the plot? Well, I was just going to say it's like the other reason I'm kind of glad I, I saw this later, especially after I taught a Roman Civ course and got a chance to really get in depth with the history of this period and all the politics. And so it's like, I understand the references to Sola and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what I loved about this is that you really are focused on the two characters of Varenus and Pulo who are nobodies, absolute nobodies. Like you won't find their names in the history books. Well, well, okay, you you can correct me in a moment, but like off the top of my head, not familiar to me at all, but all of these like big names we do know from history and you just see how these random little events, which, you know, is interesting to think about of like, there's so many no names in history that still had an impact on the events we do know about. So the fact that Pulo got into a bar brawl the night before over loaded dice and then when they're trying to take Mark Antony up into the Senate and the one guy's like, Hey, that asshole killed my friend. I'm going to attack him. And like all hell breaks loose as a result. And um, I loved that. I loved that these small like events that have nothing to do with the famous names, you know, still had a very huge impact on those big things we do know about. So that's what I really like about the show. For sure. Yeah. I would say that's like a good, beginning to an overview of just the plot in general so i feel like we follow like those big names those things that you would know from any big history class so like caesar's you know getting into it with pompey after his daughter pompey's wife dies uh, in childbirth and it's like creates this big rift between these two friends and the rest of the season one really is a fallout of their friendship and political friendship just kind of destroying itself but the same time that we follow these big names there's cicero there's brutus there's anybody that you might think of cato who's one of my absolute favorites but then i yeah there are the grunts there's like the normal everyday people who have to one like deal with the situations that are created by their commanders like petty squabbles and try to survive them in their own everyday life i think about like niobe veritas's wife just like trying to exist and be a human and like take care of her family and all is going on in Rome. And yeah, I think that's such a great juxtaposition to follow like these big names and then also have the fallout around them. 
Yeah, and I think that's kind of the the guiding impulse of the show that's kind of makes it so smart in some ways where is there's a version of this where it is basically just like I Claudius where I mean this show in many ways is the spiritual successor to I Claudius the very sure. we'll talk about it later but the very last scene of this whole show is very much like a baton pass to I Claudius it basically picks up it ends exactly where I Claudius starts but the thing that really separates this from a show like that is that while you do have the kind of commander's tent level what's Julius Caesar, you know, and Pompey and, and Mark Antony and what do they argue about in the Senate house? But then also you have these, you know, these two, the, the hoi polloi, right? You get the sort of plebeian side of things and that gets really sort of what it, I think it also does kind of a good job is like the way regular people kind of engage with these macro things happening. Like there's this scene that I actually really like where I think it's an episode two or three, maybe where, Pullo and Varenus are two kind of probably our main characters, right? Our guides through mm-hmm. this show yeah. are at Octavian's house and they're talking with Adia and Varenus is a very, you know, true to his character is a staunch, you know, he's a hardline traditionalist, right? He's maybe a Catonian, right? He just like the Republic was founded like this and there is no reason we should do anything different from the way our ancestors did, which is a very roman (laughs) mindset and then polo is like i don't give a shit right and like Mm -hmm. caesar if caesar makes poor people's lives better then like great which is also like these are exactly the kinds of situations that lead to people like enabling tyrants or whatever but Mm -hmm. yeah but we were gonna say actually a little note on christy so yeah from from your fellow latin nerds uh varinus and polo are technically named okay in is it is it the Gallic Wars? Yeah, I think oh, so. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I remember having my students read this this nice. passage. They're just they have like a little vignette of, uh, and then they're like not really heard from again. So they don't have these like bigger lives and stories, but they're just two named soldiers of Caesar's, and they have this like jumping over the wall, like saving <laughs> each other from the enemy. But it's just this little vignette and then they disappear and we don't hear yeah. from them again. I mean, it's Caes- it's in Caesar's commentaries. It's, I don't know, I mean, a lot of ways you could interpret it, you know, him throwing a bone to, you know, and, you know, who is this intended for his audience back home in Rome? Like what's mm-hmm. going on? But- well, that was the other moment I, I kind of liked for this when they come back after the Senate brawl happens and uh, Caesar asks Mar Antony, "Is like, do you have one of the name or one of the men I can name as part of my like motivational speech to go mm-hmm. march on the go march on Rome?" It's like, "Oh yeah, Pulo," and like Pulo, like here's his name. I'm like, "Oh damn, am I in oh, trouble?" Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and, but but yeah, but you can see that like you know Caesar very much was beloved by his own men and everything like that, so he mm-hmm. would know how to call out individuals and recognize them this is the thing i actually wanted to ask you too about in terms of kind of when we think about his dramatizations of history and and a distinction that i recently kind of came across i kind of like is like the distinction between like historical accuracy and historical authenticity where like accuracy Mm. being like these things happen these people are real it happened in these orders and authenticity being like this is the right vibe right or like it captures the thing about it and i think like that that caesar speech is like while historically not accurate as far as we can tell feels very historically authentic right absolutely yeah right where this is how caesar even could make a 
power play like he did, right? Because he has just spent years in Gaul with his soldiers, right? They have a bond. Like he is beloved by his, I mean, he must have been beloved by his soldiers. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone. Crossed gone the Rubicon. Ro- yeah, gone rogue basically <laughs> with him, like uh, helped him stage a coup, right? He must have had the popularity back at home. I mean, and the other thing that I kind of like is like the way this show kind of, I think, fairly succinctly without too much baggage and politicking and exposition kind of sets up the like political stakes where you have these elite aristocrat hardliners right who have the system of government that they want to adhere to and like don't want to acknowledge a tyrant which on the one hand is sympathetic of like one person taking over the show but like how out of touch they are with just everything that's happening and and lived people the sort of class divisions the why why caesar would be so popular among Mm -hmm. just regular romans the kind of the way everybody or like most people don't even really care. They just kind of want to back the right horse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of following that line. I love that they're you don't really feel like you're on someone's side throughout mm-hmm. this. It's like there are characters that you really like from both camps, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like when Varinus and Polo are kind of pulled apart into sort of like, oh, where do we actually have to mm-hmm. fight? Like, who are we actually fighting for? It's like the, you're on no one's side. And I think that's a really clever and like well-written story. Mm-hmm. Of mm-hmm. There are like very clearly delineated like battle lines drawn, but I'm rooting for everybody. <laughs> yeah. The other thing about that speech in particular where he calls out Pulo, I think what's really interesting of showing Caesar as a populist is like the Senate has declared him a criminal, right? Mm-hmm. But in that speech, he tells his soldiers, they consider all of us criminals. I am one of you and you are one of me. So like what happens mm-hmm. to me happens to all of us. Uh-huh. And I'm like. In a post-2016 world, that kind of speech hits, hits hard, very, ooh, yeah, right? hits very different, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, and like, that's always how I think about Caesars. Like he was a populist. And mm-hmm. so that rhetoric Julius Caesar is not one of them in in many respects. No, he's no, is blue. His not. blood is as blue as it gets. Right, yeah. he is old money, old family all the way. But yet, yeah, he he throws his lot in with the you know generally the pop you know the populace and he did enact laws and that the show kind of gets in like like labor laws mm-hmm. um, about sort of land distribution and right like trying to get land and ownership back into the hands of Roman citizens and lower class citizens. So they wouldn't all be gobbled up by the sort of 1% and they're Mm -hmm. getting cut out by basically by like their, we're getting into the whole like Marxist reading of Roman history, but I know, um, which is so awesome. And it's totally my shit. And I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and like that wasn't an original play by him. Like that is generally what the tyrants were trying to do. Like there was many people recognizing as like, you know what? Yeah, I have this noble title and name and family history, but if I want to maintain power, I -hmm. need to go to the masses and make them happy. Christy, you raised the question that is like, you know, the fact that this show came out in 2005 and the way Julius Caesar there where the idea of like a populist demagogue, at least in the United States, although this this is a kind of triangulated British American, Mm -hmm. like American studio heads, British Mm -hmm. cast, Italian crew. But like it, like the idea of that, like I wonder, like if the show was made, say in 2018 or 2020, right? How yeah. our attitudes to our with, guy like Caesar would have been very different with a right. Boris Johnson and <laughs> yeah, Trump, in the, in, a, in the post Trumps oh and Boris Johnsons, exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, the main difference, how do I put this? The main difference is I would argue, and I don't think I'm out of line here where I'm saying that Caesar was smart um, yeah. in a way that those guys kind Ooh. of aren't. Um, <laughs> well, it's only hubris if you lose. Yeah. 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 Oh, words for the ages. <laughs> so so we've got the like Caesar's march on Rome, Pompey mm-hmm. basically in the Senate being caught with their pants around their ankles, kind of having to eat shit basically and run away and look bad and Caesar kind of kicking their ass. This does actually lead me to a question of that the show kind of answers where I mean and just the question of like in retrospect when we look at sort of Caesar, he does kind of seem like this tactical genius where you know or to what extent is Caesar a tactical genius and to what extent was he just really lucky in yeah. the right ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and well I like that it's it kind of leans into both in the show mm-hmm. in that like Pompey probably makes some like very critical tactical errors that just kind of mean that, oh, Caesar kind of won this by default because we just left the city, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also they have this whole contrivance with Sevilia and like, oh, is Caesar staying and like not pursuing Pompey because of this like love of his life relationship that he's in, which is kind of Mm -hmm. fun, right? It's it's I mean, Mm -hmm. not historically attested but it's fun and like weird or the whole the uh, the gold being like oh, Pompey tries to take all the treasury out of rome <laughs> yeah. that just sort of serendipitously Maybe falls into one of Polo's my favorite hands. scenes yeah is when who is it is it pompey's son is it quintus comes quintus. in mm-hmm. and is like trying to shake down Verinus. like where's the gold he's like what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about and then up. pulls up <laughs> I mean, Polo, who is simultaneously the luckiest and unluckiest person just in the universe. Like in the equivalent of like, I don't know, a Cadillac or something, right? Yeah. Just I mean, at, mm-hmm. at some point, somebody, who says it? Caesar, he says to Polo, it's like, you're clearly a liar and an idiot and a thief, but fortune seems to be on your side right now. Mm-hmm. So like. And I don't fuck with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fuck with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that combination of like serendipitous events, but also like one of my favorite moments is really early on when Brutus comes to visit him and, you know, Brutus just kind of casually asks like, how are things going? And you see Caesar pause for a moment and be like, it's not good. Yeah, and then, oh, the best thing, he has a look, like a great look for the ages where Mm -hmm. Brutus is like, really, not good. That's not what I've seen. And then Caesar's eyes just dart up for just a second just to be like, Brutus is going to go back and say that things are bad, right? Which is, Caesar is, he's truly baiting it where like he wants the Senate to declare him. Now he wants the Senate to sort of force his hand in a way because like the other true incredibly Roman thing is you can never really just outwardly attack or invade or declare something you have to it has to everything has to be reactionary the sort of Mm -hmm. joke is every war rome ever fought was in defense and caesar does this Mm -hmm. in gaul where basically like his whole war in gaul which as they mentioned is illegal he justifies it through all these ways of like well these these people invaded our allies so we go there and then these people helped these other people invade our allies so now i have a pretense to go invade them and then before you know it where rome started with just some provinces and allies in the south of France by the end of his eight-year war, all of Gaul is now Rome, which also coincidentally happens to enrich Caesar and make him wildly popular back in home. Mm-hmm. I think another one I think of those times where it's like you really see the politics playing out. I have two scenes in mind, and one is where he bribes the auger to oh help, my God. 
at, at the I party. I talk is, about this scene too. Oh my gosh, we can come. <laughs> and the other one is is when he's trying to find a loophole after Pompey accepts the truce. Ah, he's like, yes. okay, well, how do we make it that he didn't? He's like, ah, he refuses to meet me in person. It's like the technicality, <laughs> like the tiny little backward step that you're trying to get is so Roman to me. And that was yeah. also the most Trumpy sound sounding thing. Ah. I'd- <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. We can even talk about just the way like machismo plays into all of this, right? Oh yeah. I mean, it's oh, all yeah. just kind of dick swinging, right? Totally. Yes, but th- that makes me want to turn to a different character who I find terrifying and so well played in this is Octavian. Like, mm. oh my gosh, oh, that God. kid is terrifying, but so in like scary. a good way. Like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. So Octavian, Dang. yeah, in the first season, played by uh, Max Perkis. Right, the idea, even decision, because like it seems like very much setting up that Octavian as this like calculating, right? He's watching Caesar, he's learning from Caesar both the good and and the mistakes that he's not going to make that Caesar makes. But yeah, I mean, he's this. I mean, I don't. Know, where do we even start with Octavian? He's kind of like a twerpy kid at the beginning, yeah. right? Like he he just wants to read. He doesn't want to like do anything, and I. I kind of love he's that. He's kind of a little this, incel. Like, I don't know yeah. how to. <laughs> he is. He's like this mini psychopath that's like, but sometimes you know who he I... says stuff and you're like, oh shit, maybe don't. <laughs> but you know who I think he's actually learning from is his mother, Atia. Oh, like, look 100%. at what Atia pulls off. Yeah. She makes Caesar march after Pompey. She's like, these things just happen. I mean, those kinds of little dalliances. Yeah. I mean. And. There's one like one element that kind of the thesis on Octavian in the show is his like not to get Freudian, but the like psychosexual hangups about sex and his mother and everything going on. Yeah. He is so uncomfortable. He's like clearly so uncomfortable with the idea of sex in a way that his mom is not, or maybe he that's it's because of his mother. Sure. Yeah. And he's also this kind of strategizing, scheming, like he's almost like this asexual sort of being. Mm-hmm. Which just makes know, a lot of sense when you think about some of the later laws that mm-hmm. yeah, brings actually, up. Yeah, actually. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I want to come back to this later when we get to I, Claudius and we see Brian oh, Bless sure. in, in yeah. that because that's a very different Augustus who's a much mm-hmm. more like personable because one of the things that I think Suetonius kind of talks about is that Augustus was very – affable mm-hmm. or he was a sociopath who did it well. who could put it on who could like yeah. have yeah. that mask and that's always the vision that i think just historically that i have as you know just someone reading history have sort of had of augustus is like oh this person must have been really charismatic to like mm-hmm. pull the shit that he pulled yeah but i like the version of him here where he's kind of like the puppet master pulling the strings and he has a lot of charismatic people around yeah. him but mm-hmm. he's also like since we're you know talking about how this is a prequel to game of thrones in some ways it's like i have thoughts of joffrey in my head and joffrey's just like awful like cannot mm-hmm. accomplish anything when we see octavian varanus and pulo find him and he's like cut me free and pulo says say please and he recognizes like mm-hmm. all right like, I'm and not in a position of power at the moment. I need to accept this. Mm-hmm. And then later, but he, like, acknowledges they saved him. He's like, no, they're going to dine with us as equals. They saved my life. And then when Pulo's his tutor, and Pulo asks him a very, like, you know, serious question, like, he get, he gives him a thoughtful response and then helps, helps, and him helps him murder him. a dude. Yeah. Torture and murder a dude, naturally. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have two thoughts kind of this point, which is one, I was talking to my students the other day about the idea of like teleological readings of things like because we already know the end does that influence the way we view the beginning right and i feel like there's that happening because we know that augustus basically does come out on top he's eventually going to kind of mastermind everything is going to fall into place for him and again there's the kind of open question is like does it seem like he had it all figured out because it all ended up working out or was he sort of less in control? And so this show kind of wants to make it seem like he is very much like he has the puppet mastery thing that we yeah. talked about. But then just actually to Christie's point that she was just saying of like a thing that Augustus is unarguably very good at is surrounding himself with people that are going to do the thing. Like that's really also what he's good at where we're going to see later like he is going to have the right people in his stable, yes. right? Or in mm-hmm. his inner circle, that yep. are going to make it happen. He's going to cultivate the kind of brain trust. Yeah. Yes. And he understands yeah. like that is what he understands that it's about like cultivating these kinds of allegiances and loyalties with the right people that are going to make it happen. That's getting to like way more season two though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just, I, I really like what they've done with him so far and I was yeah. impressed. And um, I guess that, can we go to Atia? She is my Yeah, we haven't talked favorite. about Atia at all, but she kind of is <gasps> Which the... is a crime. Yeah. How have we not Which... talked about Atia? So actually, Chrissy, I really want to know your impression of Adia, just right out of the gate. I I just love her on so many levels. Like, first of all, like, she seems superfluous in a lot of ways. Like, you know, she's like, I'm just doing the best for my daughter. And she seems petty in a lot of ways. But at the same time, like, one of my favorite moments is when she's just crying one day and she's like, I'm all alone. And like she, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, she's a rich and wealthy woman, but she doesn't have a husband. She's losing the support of almost the paterfamilias of her family, which is Julius Caesar. And there's about a civil war to break out. So how she's managing that and the fact that she's using her sexuality to do that as well, but she still ends up feeling so alone. I I kind of really love it because that is the only way. And we see it with Servilia, too. But Servilia was like, you know, hooking up with Caesar out of love. Mm -hmm. But it's this thing of we can only really wield power through the relationship to the men in our lives. And if the men turn on us, there's no other recourse, really. And so I think that's why I like her character so much is she's trying so hard, actually, on behalf of herself and her family that it feels very realistic in a lot of ways to what the world must have been like for women back then. Yeah, she's using like all the tools that she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, so, I really love Sevilla writing those curse tablets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. that was, I, I viscerally felt that. Yeah, <laughs> she's just like, uh, uh, uh. I will say my other favorite scene with Atia and Octavian is after she sends him to Gaul and he comes back. She's like, how was it? No, it was awful. I'm sure. Let's never speak of it again. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, all right. <laughs> I have such kind of conflicting feelings about Adia where I wonder, like, I fear on one hand, is she playing into like the Livia tropes of the scheming mother, the conniving. She's not a poisoner like Livia, like we're going to see with Livia, but she's kind of the power behind the throne idea. And I am like, is this a feminist take? Is it an anti-feminist take? Is it neither? Is it both? And then my memory of when the show was sort of 
debuting and then when I watched it the first time was she was like she's the one that popped the most as she just kind of has the most Mm -hmm. colorful character I mean there's also she's the kind of vector for the show to be like this isn't your dad's Roman show there are boobs and people (laughs) Uh, and she's very much even just the scandalousness of like the scene where she's like tells Octavian to come in while she's bathing and she's having Mm -hmm. sex in front of her children and like her kind of shamelessness I guess for lack of a better word unapologetic yeah, because she's always using sex, whether it's with Timon, the horse, mm-hmm. or I don't the know, horse trader guy, the horse yeah. trader guy, or it's Mark Antony. It's it, it's for her. It's always an exchange of something. She is getting something out of those liaisons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the I mean, the basically kind of the access of like her sort of just charm versus the kind of. She does some like really like real messed up stuff, right? Where she yeah, very much so. Yeah, like, she her kills children. Yeah, kills her daughter's husband. Yeah, <laughs> murders husband. Her. They were divorced. Right. Yeah, because because, because she forced them to. Like, like <laughs> basically, I mean, prostitutes her daughter to Pompey to curry political favor, then kills her, her daughter's first husband to sort of try to close off that loop the part where she is with Anthony in bed, and then she's like, "Well, what if you abandon Caesar?" and left him hanging out to dry which is ultimately kind of what motivates Antony to like be like i need to go to caesar mm-hmm. and the way the way she kind of is like probably traumatizing her children and eventually turns her daughter against her and probably octavian has a real messed up relationship with his mother which might explain stuff later who's to say oh. yeah i think i think your question of is she a like a feminist icon or something i think that's really difficult to speak because like feminism today is speaking to a period of time where women have enough power to you know try and move things in an anti-sexist way versus this is the patriarchy at the time and the power that women have is what is wielded through the men and their families and I think that's why I like that is like they're very cognizant of that reality and they are looking at how women would use that to their advantage um, mm. and lose out in the end. Right. Because Mark Antony doesn't like that Atia kind of sees him for who he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the result is she pushed too far. So she, he hits her and leaves mm-hmm. her. And now she doesn't have any real options at the moment. Yeah. 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 So, and I think it's, you know, we we think so badly of Atia for like doing what she did to her daughter, but I thought it was really interesting that Niobe, they're like, oh, they're so excited for her daughter to marry the Drover's son. Mm -hmm. Um, But the minute her husband becomes higher class, they're like, oh, you can't marry him now. Like now we are higher class. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like the daughter's like, but I love him. So like the same exact thing happened, but it was mm-hmm. happening with a woman who had less power in some ways. Right. That's me. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm just like I'm thinking through like, and and I'm sort of just I can't help but like go forward in my brain in the story. You know, eventually Octavian becomes Augustus, and like is is that force that she could get behind Mm -hmm. um and she has such a hard time because of her divided loyalties originally and Mm -hmm. then it's she's up against you know octavian's new wife and so yeah there's so many more challenges ahead of her even now 
but I do think she's still once again like using the tools that she has mm-hmm. which like I don't know annoyingly enough happened to be sex I guess mm-hmm. she uses it very effectively yeah <laughs> it wor- seems to work yeah I mean she gets you know pillow talk she gets the intel from yeah Mark that's Anthony. how she gets like the the Caesar and Sevilla talk from mm-hmm. Anthony yeah. yeah and I do love when I think Christy, you were sent us this. Yes. Where she's uh, like, <laughs> when they might all be murdered by a gang trying to invade their home, she's like, okay, well, you need to kill me first. And then, or like, I'm going to kill Octavia. And Octavia's like, I don't want her to kill me. <laughs> that That is one of the, like, there's, I mean, even just a sense of like, though the show kind of feels very Roman in many ways, that scene to me feels like so British in a way that's like, well, of course, like, well, you kill you. I'm like, let's not make a fuss about it. And like, like, how do we kill each other in a way that just makes most the most sense? And like, let's not make a big deal out, out of it. Well, and I liked that scene, too, because to me, that one had the strongest parallel to Game of Thrones that I remembered of, like, Cersei yeah. getting super drunk and just mm-hmm. yelling at how everyone's going to be raped and die. Well, to your point, Christy, like, Adia's maybe power or, or or her father's, like, she has a very clear-eyed view of the way things are and is, like, mm-hmm. no pretense about it, right? Like, yeah. this is how it is, so, like, I'm just going to act in this way that mm-hmm. makes the most sense. I'm just going to, like, and also, like, the idea of, like, I'm going to get what's mine, right? I'm going to like use yeah. every tool that I can to like secure as much security. And mm-hmm. even looking ahead, you mentioned Cersei, like Atia. I mean, we could draw this whole line of, I keep talking about I Claudius, but I think it's hard mm-hmm. not to talk about I Claudius when you talk about this show where the, the character of Livia connected to Atia, connected to the Cersei Lannisters of the world of like the women in these kind of marginal axes of power that sort of mm-hmm. resort to sex and violence and murder and extortion to secure power or safety or security for them and their children. Yeah. And just as we've been talking about like the way that Adia functions, it really mirrors so much of what Octavian later does. He's like this logical, I'm going to use the tools that I have and I'm going to get what's mine. Like that, it works really well. And I feel like they did a really good job. This was really well written. (laughs) I'm also reminding to your part of like, Christy, you mentioned like, well, like she gets it. Like we live in the patriarchy, so it's like uh, Octavian. You have to be a manly man to like succeed yeah, yeah, in this exactly, world. Like you, yeah. you gotta. But also, if you and, seduce like, Caesar. That's great too. I you mean, are yeah. very pretty. <laughs> well, yeah, they had no problem with that. That's yeah. fine. No. Yeah. Oh, like oh, she's like, and she assumes that like you've seduced Caesar, and he's like, no. <laughs> No, that's not what happened. I can't even imagine, like, as a if growing up as a teenager, if your mother like hired a tutor to be like, learn how to fight, and also make sure that they are having sex. How kind of mortifying that that would be. <laughs> Have a goat testicle. Yeah, eat this testicle. <laughs> You're not manly, you know. Talking about being like shamed by your mother, right? Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that's what I uh, again really liked about. Octavian and Atia's relationships. Yeah, it's very complicated, but I like that it seems to indicate that Octavian has learned a lot from his mother and observing how she survived. And, like, you know, we kind of, we always think that, like, oh, these great men learn from other men. And yeah, he's reading Greek philosophers and things like that. But street knowledge, street cred, he's getting that from his mom Mm -hmm. for sure. (laughs) How to actually function. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she says something like, um, Julie, I are never in want of enemies or something like that. Like she knows, she knows what it's, what it takes. So, and actually kind of segueing it, we, 
talked a little bit about Pulo and Varenus, but we could sort of switch over like from the patrician side of things to the sure. plebeian, right? And like, I mean, even how we feel like, I think we probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Titus Pulo maybe has our hearts. Oh, um, absolutely. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Varenus is annoying. <laughs> I think Niobe says it best. You're an idiot. And I'm like, yes, Niobe. Yes, he is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Varenus, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I liked him on Grey's Anatomy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that that's just it, right? He is the quintessential Roman through and through, and we yeah. hates it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, in a nutshell, the most repressed individual ever. Yes. Like, he is toxic masculinity. I don't know what to say. And, like, and the only time we like him is the straight man to Titus Pulo. Like, that's the only time we like him. <laughs> But I feel like like starting from this point gives him somewhere to grow, right? Like he yeah. has mm-hmm. somewhere to go and I'm like interested in seeing what happens. Mostly because I'm like, why are you being such a dick about this? Because mm-hmm. he's such an asshole and he can't get the stick out of his ass. But like that is, it's like I'm still rooting for him somehow. Like I'm like, please stop being what's such the, an asshole. What's the joke where he's asking Polo for like basically like relationship and sex advice, and he Polo basically like tells him about the clitoris? How, How do you, you know, know this, this of my woman? <laughs> it's like, um, all women have. If Verena's if lived now, Verena's would be like a Ben Shapiro stan or something like that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Pulo with matched up with anyone is just wonderful. Like his friendship with Octavian is also like giving me life right now. I don't know. I've never actually tortured anyone before. <laughs> Cut off his thumbs. And I was worried about bringing you. <laughs> <laughs> Testament also did just like the late great Ray Stevenson, who just talked about like this was the show that really helped him like kind of grow into an actor, right? But like, man, Pulo is a fun role. Mm-hmm. Such a great character. Yeah. A guy who is, you know, he has his fingers on the pulse of life. He's just kind of riding the waves. <laughs> like brain damaged in what, episode two? I did, okay. Yeah. I did want to talk about that scene because that scene oh was God, amazing yeah. from like an ancient medicine perspective of, <laughs> I wish I had known about this uh, when I was teaching the history of medicine because we have a conversation, I have a conversation with my students. It's like, you know, doctors, it's a service that you perform and like, you know, the best advertisement is like, hey, watch me drill into some guy's head. And oh, look, he's not mm-hmm. screaming in pain. You should hire me for your next brain trauma. I'm reminded of this master and commander scene where he performs yeah. brain surgery basically in front of the entire ship. And yeah. I mean, also, that also feels very, again, like authentic of like that actually is the kind of surgery that people mm-hmm. could perform. And in, 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 I was talking just today, I had a lecture in my mythology class about Apollo and I was talking about healing cults and Epidaurus and how it's like mm-hmm. this combination of like, there's very clinical procedures of like recording all of the the symptoms and the afflictions and the prescri- and the, the results and like sort of like this like objective observation-based documentation of medicine combined with this mysticism element that like to us seems very oil and watery but like kind of could coexist in in antiquity like this was christie's dissertation yeah (laughs) it was basically well but that's the thing too it's like you go to the doctor and like you'll still get like ask for prayers or you know thoughts and prayers is still a very common Mm -hmm. thing we we mix with medicine yeah i mean that and then the doctor in that scene performs like a very technical surgery and then Mm -hmm. at the end he's who does he say to pray to uh 
Oh, he's like sacrifice a hair, right? It's like a rabbit. Sacrifice a hair. Yep. Like I loved that. It was like the pus will drain. At first it'll look like this. It'll look like this. I'll send my boy to change the dressings. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then and it's like, and then sacrifice the hair to this one. And it's like, that's it. That is medical pluralism of the ancient world is like this, this, and this. But also, you know, throw one to the gods just in case. You never know. Yeah. And the way you say, I think he says like that usually works. Yeah. Which is again kind of testimony where it's like, you know, I've got a wealth of experience to draw upon, like, mm-hmm. which is how the sort of medical practice happens, right? It's just like observation, repetition, observation, drip, 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 drip. Yeah. yeah. I love that's why he had a, a young male assistant too, because mm-hmm. that is exactly how medicine was taught, was like you take on a mentee and they shadow you, and that's how you learn all these procedures. This is very tangential. And we can like go back if if we're not done. Go back to what? We're we're adrift. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about that scene because I loved it. Go, Lash, go. This is sort of just in the in the sort of like random sacrifices. I really love the depiction of religion in this Mm -hmm. show, and like the very multicultural, colorful, crazy, weird, insane parts of Roman religion that are just kind of randomly peppered in. Mm-hmm. And like there are big scenes like when Adia goes and she does the big sacrifice where the bulls like blood just drips all over her like that was, was that Mithras creepy. what was that I think they say Magna Mater I they think they say Magna okay. Mater okay yeah. yeah and there's the guys dancing which is a thing for that cult where it's like the like the dancing priests and the bull and and Magna, yeah. so it's probably Sibylle or Magna Mater but yeah but like there's there's like those big big institutions and then like the augurs with their with their birds and like that's a big institutionalized religion but then just like the little tiny weird things that are like some weird shrine on the street yeah. or like Verena's daughter like exchanging the grapes at like um, some shrine yeah and, and they had Janice like, right well, yeah. they had their little Janus statue mm-hmm. like for their party and, you know, that it was knocked over. And yeah. it's like that is so fun and just like bits and pieces of just like this little everyday weirdness that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily you can't like line up with, I don't know, mm-hmm. standard Roman mythology. But it's like this is like religion in practice. It's like Roman religion is such a thorny kind of issue because they were a very religious people, but like pinning down exactly what that meant gets yeah. really oh yeah like it's like sand right it's like the harder you try mm-hmm. to grab it like the more it kind of slips out and it's just very because it also just kind of cuts against what we think of as like religion and religiosity yeah. i also love mark antony just being like <laughs> i mean truly right i don't know if any of you have ever like sit through like communion or something like that but just being like jesus <laughs> Yeah, I I loved that you had those very, you know, state sponsored, like, kind of like when you go to Rome and you go see the Pantheon or something like that's kind of what you're envisioning. But like those smaller shrines that like have animal skulls and something like, and it's dirtier in some ways. Yeah, it's messy and it's lived in. I have a whole working thesis that I need to work into a working article about Ovid's fasty and how it's all just like this is our religion and like why do we do this i don't know the priests don't even know none of this makes any sense it's all arbitrary yeah cool is my favorite for this i was gonna, so like the very beginning when he's like locked up and it's like you know he's bargaining right it's yeah. like so i white like if i can't find that i'll get you some birds 
<laughs> yeah, if I can't find that, just like a yeah. really nice pigeon or something. Yeah, it's a really nice pigeon. And then at the very end, like I think we stopped at the end of season six, or episode six was like a great place to stop because again, it's just Varenus and Pulo talking. And Pulo's like, Neptune fucking sucks if you can't keep me dry. <laughs> right. I mean, Varenus is the the stringent rule follower that, and it does him no good, which is why he's a deeply unhappy repressed man who makes everyone around him miserable yeah um. <laughs> yeah and well i mean then polo is the foil right like we we can't have mm-hmm. one without the other they are these two different sides of this coin and i love i forget what he's talking about but Varinus says something about some like semi-historical mythological roman figure and polo's like who like, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh Cincinnati, or no? Cincinnati. Yeah, it was Cincinnatus, the Grocky, and yes, uh, someone else. Well, I was like, what the f- are you talking about? Like, I don't care about that. Maybe Marius, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he's like, Mar- yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. I think it's the Grocky. He's like the Grand Yeah, like, he mentions the Grocky. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, which that he knows his history. Good for Varenus. The Grocky for them would be like it's about a hundred years difference, maybe or something like that, right? So it would be like you know depression era people for us right or you yeah. know, it'd be like a like a 20s like a, like a roosevelt-esque figure yeah you know somebody yeah. in like that yeah like the turn of the century yeah. like yeah it's interesting because like the a few people when the fight's you know breaking out between pompey and caesar and they're like i remember the days of sola blood yeah. everywhere mm-hmm. and like you could definitely everywhere. be just like well i remember not so long ago Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah it, it, it is it's so weird to like you know these names all come in a certain order for us and it's all just a very long time ago but again to like live and it's like recall some historical names and like you know i hear people talk about politicians from the 80s i'm like who is yeah that? exactly <laughs> gary hart <laughs> what <laughs> forget the roman okay. empire you, i you think about you made me hart. go who <laughs> way too much <laughs> Uh, he got caught with his mistress aboard a boat called, or a photo of him with his mistress aboard a boat called Monkey Business, um, and he was the top Democratic contender. Such simple times, right? Right. Having a mistress was enough to like ruin your campaign. on a boat. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Oh. <laughs> we haven't really talked about Mark Antony. I don't know if we necessarily have James much to Purfoy. Say uh, I don't know. Ten out of ten. No notes. I think he's yeah, the other. Exactly. For me, he's the other breakaway. Because that's I like, would agree. In the way that Adia is a really like chewy character. I mean, Pulo's pretty chewy. Adia is mm-hmm. super chewy of like we can really we can just kind of munch on scenery everywhere. I mean, it was really weird to see like Adia would go around and like take a bite out of a column. But you know, <laughs> chewing on the scenery. I think Mark Anthony is also. I mean, just he has that. I wrote in my notes somewhere that Mark Anthony has huge BDE energy. Yes. Yeah. And then full frontal. He does. Yeah. What is that? Is that Which- a prosthetic? I need to know. I don't know. I do appreciate at least that if like if we're going to have a bunch of naked women, thank goodness we have at least one naked man. Yeah, he's like, I'll take one for the team. Behold. (laughs) Eli's campaign, show us the dicks. (laughs) (laughs) I stand behind this every time. There is a insane penis at one point oh <laughs> yeah well it's the it's the like present right that addy is oh yeah to it's yeah it's like a, it's a big dick that's like why wouldn't she want this <laughs> honestly i questioned that less than i questioned the giant gold jewel encrusted tortoise on the pillow yeah. i'm like what is that Adia, you have me at guy with giant cock but like the turtle yeah mm-hmm. turtle <laughs> 
But no, Mark Antony, I think is also just like a very colorful portrayal of like a name in a history book. Mm-hmm. I feel like he really runs with it and it works really well. He's just mm-hmm. kind of this like almost gross, kind of creepy, but like very capable, charismatic guy. But he doesn't really want all this responsibility. Like it sort of toward the end of the episodes we watched, he's like in Rome in charge. And he's like, what do you mean I have to stay behind? He like wants to be the man mm-hmm. of action and to do all the things. Um, and I think it's a really, it's a great narrative structure to like have him go against that nature. And it works really well in a yeah. story. Oh, yeah. Mark Antony is one of the characters that kind of comes with, I mean, in some ways it's almost an unenviable role. Cause like it comes with baggage where like there's Shakespeare and Julius Caesar, I think similarly, you have Shakespeare representations. You have mm-hmm. Cleopatra, right? Richard Burton. Whereas Titus and Pullo are relatively blank or blank slaves. Adia too, for the most part, mm-hmm. although Adia is kind of informed by Livia and other characters. But Mark Anthony, like when you are portraying Mark Anthony, like you are entering into a sort of larger network of Mark Anthony's, right? There's an inevitable intertext that's going to happen of like thinking about the Richard Burtons of the world, other, you know, stage portrayals of the character. Like, like when you're an actor, and I think especially like a British actor with training to play Mark Anthony kind of means something. But I think like to the, the efficacy that Eli, you mentioned of like Julius Caesar sums it up, sums it up in like one of the first, I think the first episode where he's like, he's good at kill. He likes killing people or something like that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, good at i feel like he's yeah he's good at killing people mm-hmm. <laughs> and like that's very true like he's you know part of the caesar tells him like don't wash the blood off when they like mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. you know call attention to what's happened and mm-hmm. he's he's very much that that man of action and he's bored and when he's stuck in rome he's like yep. bored yeah. and listless and <laughs> that senate scene is my absolute is like <laughs> the, <laughs> the motion he's like oh yeah I'm supposed oh, yeah. to do that. <laughs> I sat through that damn long ritual so I could do that. I mean, and then later you get the scenes of like the, the Senate, you know, in the sort of Julian regime where it's him and he's basically like mouthing the words to the senator to say. <laughs> or I just, the in like, it's either the first or the second episode. He like asks Caesar for a money, talent. Mm-hmm. a talent. And then he like turns around and is like, here's half a talent to go do this yeah. thing. And he's just obviously pocketing like half of that yeah. money. I just feel like that sums up just his kind of character in one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was fun. I was surprised how much I enjoyed him actually. I mean, yeah, a lot of, a lot of chewy characters, right. To really like, they, they're not good people, but they're fun people. No. Yeah. <laughs> no one's good. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the nudity more broadly or? I don't really have much to say other than I just in the arc of like prestige television, I feel like, and this is most obvious, I think in the first episode, and this is generally, I think like for TV shows where the first episode is like, there's boobs and people are having sex and like full frontal. And then it kind of, you know, I mean, yeah. early Game of Thrones, I think is very guilty of this where it's like gratuitous sure. sex scenes and yeah. torture and all this other stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I will say I wanted to give the show props because I thought one of the cool, like, I knew that the, the um, Niobe's grandson or whatever was probably her real son, but I really liked how they did the reveal of she has to nurse him. And like, yeah, yeah the boob is shown again, but it's not sexualized at that point. It, it is used as a plot twist reveal if you couldn't yeah. see it coming. Yeah. And I'm like, do you know how many shows like will just show boobs on boobs on boobs for like the sex factor, but not for 
an actual mm-hmm. functional purpose. And mm-hmm. so I was like, good job, Rome. I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, they. that's true. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I will say I feel like it kind of works with just if you're doing a show about Rome, there is this sort of like Roman opulence and extravagance and luxury that I feel like like the sex doesn't feel particularly out of place. Mm-hmm. It seems to work every time that they include it in ways that I feel like Game of Thrones did not yeah. have it fully ingratiate or like integrated into the story, like actually being nudity, being, you know, plot reveals or anything like that. And so I guess it never, it never like struck me as weird. I guess. When does it service the plot or the, or yeah. further the character or mm-hmm. make some sort of sense versus is it just, is it just I mean, sex, this is, sex? Yeah, sex yeah. or nudity or violence or whatever, mm-hmm. like for X, you know, X for X's sake. And I mean, this is Game of Thrones kind of got some, I think pushback on this. And then I, I was going to say, I think going from that, what I am really surprised about the show and what I really appreciate is the way that the women are depicted in the show. Like, I'm actually really impressed because, again, like these women can be powerless in certain instances. So we see both Servilia and Atia get beaten by their lovers and they can't physically retaliate. You know, Servilia's got a plan other than the curse tablets where she's very much getting out some aggression. We're all, Eli and I are making yeah. the like Chucky oh, hand motion. Psycho, psycho stabby. But like her son's Brutus, right? We know where this is going eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got that. And then Atia, like I loved that scene where like her, her slave pulls out a knife and Atia tells him to get out of, get out of my house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's what I appreciate is like, Versus there are, like, a few instances where there's just a nameless woman and she literally gets effed by Mark Antony, who's a mm-hmm. poor goat herd lady. And, like, it's like, I hate that. But she's not a named character. It's meant to really show something about Mark Antony more than anything. And most of the women that are named and portrayed in the show are given agency that is believable for the time that they would have been le- living. So I, I do really appreciate that. Think about Octavia just like yeah. <laughs> reciting some really sad Virgil <laughs> at the dinner party. Which also I had a moment. I'm glad you caught that because I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, no, it's 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 the Aeneid. And it's like, well, this won't be written for a couple decades, but all right. That's yeah, fine. I was like, is there an anachronistic poetry poll going on here? Yes, but, there is. Maybe okay. Virgil was inspired by that line. Maybe there that's you. what the there entire you. Aeneid was based off well, of. Who knows? She's like, yeah, I'll recite some poetry for you, like, assholes. Here's this really <laughs> sad thing about crawling out of hell. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. good for you, Octavia. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and she stands up for her brother a lot of she times, does, right? Yeah. Like, when her, yeah. her mom is pushing too much. How far have you seen, Christy? Just episode six. I'm trying okay, to stay all true. Right. All right, never mind. Nope. I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to say anything. Nope. I oh. did happen to see a clip where things apparently get weird. So okay, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, it all gets weird, but you know, that's fine. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah i I have one other thing that I think would be interesting to discuss. It it was Pompey on the beach when he gets the, like the notice from Caesar's, like, yeah, I'm still coming after you. And he looks at the slave who delivered the message like, ah, so simple to be a slave. And 
I, I guess I wanted to talk about that because like the two slaves we see the most, I think, what are their names? I wrote them down. Posca. Yeah. Yeah. Posca played by Nicholas Woodson is Posca. He's Julius Caesar's basically mm-hmm. uh, secretary. Right hand yeah. secretary. Yeah. yeah. And, and mm-hmm. Castor, which is the the slave for Atia, mm-hmm. the male slave. Yeah. And I, I love I, their conversations. Are really, really good. I, I will not. What's the the with Mark Anthony's like? Like, ask about it. I will ask about Mark Anthony. No, don't tell him it wasn't me. I will not tell him it's you. Like, no, don't ask. I will not ask Mark Anthony. Atia is like, yeah, but then you must kill yourself for it would not be proper for you. He's like, I would never. Yeah. <laughs> don't mean that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of that you know obviously from us watching what Pompey is saying is utterly ridiculous. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh. So lucky to be a slave. You don't have to make these hard decisions. <laughs> but I liked, I really liked the depictions of, I. but like, I think that's where I'm struggling a little bit too. It's like of the male slaves where they get to show their intelligence, their rapport with their domina and dominus. And I do like that we, at the beginning, when Julia passes away, like one of the things she asked Pompey to do is to take care of her slaves, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. So I guess that was my question. What did you guys think about the depiction of the slaves in the show? I I really love Pasca as a character just because it seems like he has so much personality and agency and he has this relationship with Caesar that is kind of crucial. Like if Pasca wasn't around, like, shit wouldn't get done and i think part of this is kind of speaks to julius's character that he would have a slave that he kind of recognizes like pasco clearly has ideas and opinions and thoughts about everything and they are well informed and julius i'm saying julius like we're on a first name basis (laughs) my man jc when he has his little like meeting of the minds it's him mark antony and pasca and pasco weighs Mm -hmm. in and you know and pasca is almost like kind of like a counterpoint to mark antony versus like to exactly to your point, Chris, you were like Pompey and Cato and those guys, like those kind of real dyed in the wool aristocrats, kind of true blue old style Romans, like wouldn't even cons- like there is no enslaved person talking to Pompey mm-hmm. like that. No, not at yeah. all. No, in the way that Caesar is like open and like somebody says, I think at one point that it's like Pasca. But he takes such liberties and that Caesar would even entertain that. And I think that's also part of the reason of like where Caesar is sort of more plugged into regular people in a way that like the main problem for all of their like grandstanding and high value, you know, ideas about the Republic and Rome's history and things like that is that just like the Cato's of the world and the Pompey's of the world are just so wildly out of touch with like Mm -hmm. regular human life. Yeah. 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 But I do think like that's very, I don't know, I don't want to say one dimensional because Pasca is like feels like a very real character, but that's like one perspective on ancient slavery. And I think Mm -hmm. we do have other perspectives like Varinus brings back a bunch of what Gallic just like people and he just die of plague Mm -hmm. while he's waiting to sell them. And like that's a much more like realistic, I feel like, and dirty awful vision well the the one boy who survives i like i actually really like the scene where he's hiding in like a a basket or something and it's like you know it's being filmed in a way like you're being stalked or something and it's and then it just becomes a game of tag between the youngest girl the household and him and you forget like you know in some ways 
these slaves do grow up as part of the family. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I mean, just for like little details or something that like all the enslaved characters have those little tags around their necks mm -hmm. that say yeah. like Posca and then under it, it's like property of. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it says like it has like the initials. It's like, you know, C-I-C, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, guys, Julius Caesar and all, you know, that which is a thing where right? some of them have, I mean, the the one in the very first episode. Versus where Pompey's like, man yeah, has tattooed. it tattooed onto his mm -hmm. head. Yeah. 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 I, I think one of my favorite moments of like is when Pasca and Caster meet up. It's like here is the guest list for tonight's yeah. dinner. And she's like, takes Either a seat. Request no shellfish. Yeah, <laughs> no shellfish. She's like, is he planning to murder these <laughs> people well here? I don't the, think so. The, the does not like surprises. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Feels very like. Yep, it's just like, here's what our masters are going to, you know, got planned. Hope the it doesn't kind, like, go awry. What Eli was talking about just a second ago of like the different realities of slavery in, in antiquity where you have chattel slave, prisoners mm -hmm. of war, people born in who are just sort of working hardly like miserable, cruel, hard existences. But you also have castes of slaves who are educated very often Greek or Greek speaking um, that would serve as like secretaries and scribes and like tutors and you know teachers essentially. Yeah. And they had a lot of power, mm -hmm. yep. you know, like they're doing a lot of stuff and they are yep. controlling a lot of information. And became like extensions of these families sort of in, mm -hmm. in ways that there are these sort of different realities. Yeah. Now Pasco's great. Uh, I like everything he's about. Other sort of, I'm trying to, I'm looking through the cast list of other performances we're not talked about. We talked about Varanus and Pullo. We talked about Adia, Pompey a little bit, Servilia, Octavia, Niobe, mm. Octavian. Calpurnia, like, Caesar's actual wife. I mean, she's, I like that she's like. An afterthought. Yeah. Yeah, that she's an afterthought. <laughs> Everyone she's knows it. Like, I see that you're trying to be like lighthearted and humorous, but I won't join you. <laughs> Whatever she says at the party, it's like, stop trying to involve me in your bullshit. And that just feels very, yeah, okay, we're just going to try to step away and get rid of this lady. <laughs> I also like that everyone knows, and like Caesar knows this and Calpurnia knows this, it's like, this marriage is just for show. I will be the perfect wife. And you get to use my family's name for stuff. So the minute like you start to drag my name through the mud, I leave you and Fuck I give no. zero Fs about it. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about these a little bit, but favorite scene? Oh, definitely the killing, the negotiation between Atia with her household. It was like, who shall kill you? Servilia, my people are very good. <laughs> Yeah, it would not be proper. Like it would only be proper if like so and so like like mom, please don't kill me. I'll kill myself. Like <laughs> no, let my mom have the pleasure. Do it. Yeah. yeah, it was just so great on so many levels. It's more just like bickering with your children. Yeah, I love. I really love Caesar and Mark Antony bribing the auger, the main mm -hmm. priest. And he's like, I hear your wife has like I missed her birthday. Like, oh, how much of this bribe can I give you? And then Mark Antony on the other side is like, you wouldn't want to choke on any of those oysters. <laughs> it just it's so delightful and they're mm -hmm. so good just all together in that scene. I just really love it. <laughs> I do I do kind of really like Posca and Castor sitting down being like, all right, no shellfish, no murders. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> like very cool. All right. Unless either of you have anything to add, we have three minutes left, so I gotta do the outro. Let's do all it. Right. All right. 
Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Listeners, you can find us on most major streaming platforms as well as moviesvdig.com. Please like, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out a lot just to sort of get uh, attention and listens and play, basically, for lack of a better word. You can follow us also on Instagram and threads at movies underscore we underscore dig. So movies we dig just with underscores instead of spaces. And we are now on Blue Sky. So that issue got resolved. So you can follow us at, at movies we dig dot bsky so or bsky dot social uh if you enjoy the show and want us to show that enjoyment in a more quid pro quo way you can support us on ko-fi at slash movies we dig thank you again for listening and we'll be back next time when we excavate the back half of season one of hbo's realm thank you again and bye bye, bye.